So as we get going, before I pray and we dig into Hebrews 2, I just want to say a couple things. Uh, number one, your jerseys look great. Um, I am wearing my college basketball jersey from 2002. First time I've ever worn it to church. Uh, my daughters were like, Dad, you have to wear your jersey. And I'm like, I've always worn football jerseys to this service. And so, uh, so this is a new thing for me. Um, and as you guys can see, I had Kobe Bryant's number before Kobe Bryant had Kobe Bryant's number, okay? And so secondly, um, for all of you Chiefs fans, there's a lot of Chiefs fans at 8.30 service. I don't see as many in this service. I think all the Chiefs fans, okay, all right, we get, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, okay. Um, I think the Chiefs fans all came early to the early service so that they could party all day, right, in preparation for their win. And um, I will pray for you Chiefs fans throughout the day. You've had to suffer for 50 years, and now this is the moment where Patrick Mahomes is going to take over the NFL, right? Maybe, hopefully, we'll see. All right, I'm not sure Jesus cares too much about who wins, but... Uh, for the Chiefs fans this morning, Jesus cares. He really cares, okay? So just tell yourself that. All right. Well, let's pray in a more serious way. Let's pray and, and ask God for his help as we look at his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy to us. God, we need you this morning. More than we need anything else, Lord, we need your grace. Jesus, we need your love. We need your spirit to come and open our eyes to see truth and to embrace truth and to um, receive it deep within our hearts and minds. So Lord, we pray that as you meet with us, God, that you would do such a good work here that all of us would just stand back and say, God was with us this morning. Lord, we need you and God, we ask that your word would speak to us. And Lord, it's not really about us at all. It's about you. So God, help us to hear and to change and to believe. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, football and politics are at a fever pitch in the state of Iowa. Amen? Okay. Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo will be arranging and administrating their teams, putting players in place. If you watch the game tonight, they'll be, they'll be going up and down the sideline. They'll be telling receivers to go here, and they'll be making audible calls, and they'll, they'll be changing the plays, and they'll be doing all this stuff just so they can get under center and make a play and move the ball down the field to hopefully win the game. Okay, uh, coaches will be scrambling up and down the sidelines tonight, yelling at officials, screaming, getting in players' faces, and of course, covering their mouths when they cover the plays with that plastic sheet, right? So that the other team doesn't cheat and read their lips of what plays they're calling. You might see a shot or two tonight of super rich owners sitting in their luxury suites 
organizing, meeting with all the important people that they need to meet with, and arrogantly rejoicing in all the great decisions that they've made over the last year or two or three, you know, that have led them to this moment. So you'll see really rich owners, hopefully with the expectation of bringing a Super Bowl to their city. You'll see that tonight. Also, um, to switch gears to politics, in the state of Iowa, with the Iowa caucuses looming tomorrow, you will see politicians also today and tomorrow marching toward the caucuses, hoping to influence and rally enough votes to secure a political victory that, you know, what's the point of all that stuff? To hopefully catapult themselves to primary wins and ultimately get themselves into the Oval Office in Washington, D.C. Now, what's their goal in getting to the Oval Office anyway? Well, to be president. What does it mean to be president? It means they can administrate, right? It means they can put people in places and they can, they can name new leaders. They can do all their stuff so that they will change the economic structure of our country, and then also education and military and millions of other details that they hope to change our day-to-day lives with, right? But the basic idea of athletics and politicians is that they believe that whoever wins rules, right? They're leveraging. They're leveraging who's going to rule the athletic field, Who's going to rule the world of football for another year? It's not the Bears, okay? Who's going to rule in politics over the United States of America? That's a bigger deal than the Super Bowl. Who's going to influence what, in my opinion, is the greatest country in the world? Who gets to be the top person? Okay? As we step into Hebrews 2, and we think about politics and athletics and all that stuff, The writer of Hebrews has a very powerful and timely word for us. And that word this morning in Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, is that God rules over the earth. Praise God. More than a Super Bowl champion and more than a president, God rules over the earth. Um, He has subjected the earth underneath his control. The word subjected in this passage is listed four times. And so God is subjecting the earth underneath his rule and the rule of his son, Jesus. You can see this in verse 8. It says, now putting everything in subjection to him, that is Christ, he left nothing outside of his control. So Jesus is getting the rule of all things And every person who believes in Jesus gets to rule and reign with him in the world to come. The future. Okay, so God is not going to let angels rule over his future kingdom. You can see that in verse 5. It's not to angels that God subjected the world to come. But he is going to give subjection and rule to Christ and to God's people. So this morning, I want you to see that God is ruling, God is reigning, Jesus is ruling, Jesus is reigning over all things, over Patrick Mahomes, if you can believe it or not. 
over the presidency of this country and over your life and mine. Amen? And as we look at the rule of God in this passage, I'm praying that three realities will kind of bubble up into your heart and mind this morning. So let's look at those three realities together. Reality number one is that man's rule has been broken. Man's rule has been broken. You can see this in verse 6 and in verse 7. It says, it has been testified somewhere, what is man? That you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little while uh, lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in its subjection under his feet. The author of Hebrews is struggling with his cross-references. Can I get an amen? <laughs> He's struggling. Some of, the author of Hebrews is like, oh, it says somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. That's Psalm 8. All right, Psalm 8. Now, how many of you have ever quoted the Bible like that before? Ah, guilty, everybody here. You're like, you know that one verse that says that one thing about Jesus? That's the verse I really want right now. All right, so the author of Hebrews is, is bringing us into the Old Testament. He doesn't say Psalm 8, but we know that it is Psalm 8. And the author of Hebrews is no fool, okay? He is a very brilliant person writing this letter. So he brings us back to Psalm 8, and he quotes Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. Okay, and this psalm is all about uh, the majesty of God. As you heard the scripture read earlier, as I look at the stars and the heavens that you've made, what is man? What is man? We're so small compared to all the sun, moon, and stars that God has created. And, and no doubt, all of us have felt that way before. We've looked up at the heavens. We've looked in a big crowd of people and we're like, who am I? I'm just little. I'm insignificant in compared to 7 billion people on the earth. And as I look at the creation, who am I? You know, we feel small in this world. And, and, and that is the sense of Psalm 8. But God is mindful of man because man is his special creation. Genesis 1.26 tells us that man and woman were the pinnacle of God's creation. Let us create man in our image, in the image of God he created man, male and female, he created them. So even though we feel small, we have an incredible uh, importance in the scope of God's creation. Now Adam and Eve, they were called to rule over the garden. They were called to put the garden and the earth under subjection, underneath um, their feet. And so they were gardeners originally. Adam and Eve were gardeners. And all the gardeners in our church say what? Oh, that was weak. Amen, right? All right, so if you've, if you've never gardened, you should start gardening. I mean, we were wired for the dirt, right? So, and if you are a big gardener, you need to step up next time when I say amen, okay? But listen, listen, angels outrank man, all right? They're in the spiritual world that we can't see. Angels and demons exist in a spiritual realm that is unseen by us, but felt by us. And in the midst of that, we have been given this incredible glory and honor. Though we are underneath angels, we have been given dominion and we have been crowned with glory and honor and we are called to subject and to rule over God's earth. Now there's only one thing that is a problem with that and that is the fall of man. Okay, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that Adam and Eve didn't stay perfect for very long, but they ate the forbidden fruit, and 
sin has broken out over all of the earth. And we live in this sin-cursed world. So therefore, the perfect rule of God that God made us for, we are not experiencing that. We are experiencing the broken rule of man on the earth. Can I get a witness? You don't have to live in this earth very long to understand that it's messed up. So human beings are now a strong mix of flaunting arrogance and crushing anxiety. Like when you see a human being apart from God's grace, you see someone who is flaunting their arrogance all over the place, and you're like, I don't want to be around that person. Or you see someone whose life is falling apart and they have no idea how to handle the decisions and the brokenness of the world. So the responsibility of stewardship was given to mankind by God. It's now broken and complicated. Now, a British politician named Lord Acton, he said a phrase that many of you will know once I start saying it. He said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? So now we see a broken rulership of mankind amongst every tribe, tongue, and nation. Everybody who gets power doesn't know how to use power. This abounds everywhere we look. In politics, it bounds, it bounds to us in the sense that a president and his administration or a president and their administration, they are always ruled by what? Flaws, controversy, abuse of power, pride, imperfection. No matter who is ahead of the administration, no matter what kind of government, every single political system is marred with all of this mess, messed up background. Happens in sports too. Yes, Chiefs fans, even to you. What's the thing about Patrick Mahomes? Well, he's entering into his glory season, right? God willing, he stays healthy. Ten more years of glory, Chiefs fans. Maybe even some Super Bowls. Can I get an amen? Okay. But what will happen to this young quarterback? He'll get old like every other quarterback has ever gotten old. And his body will break down. And there will be a time when the idol that we put up within our scope of worship will fall to the ground. In sports, your idols get old and they die. So here's the point. Man's rule has been broken. So church, don't hope in men. Don't hope in men. Men are flawed. Men are broken. Men are temporary. Mankind is not meant to be God to you. Amen? I don't care how great the leader, I don't care what kind of system, mankind is inherently broken and the rule that God gave us at the beginning of creation is now broken. We see it, we feel it. Don't put your trust in men. Put your trust in God. Reality number two is that Jesus is worthy to rule. So man's rule has been broken, but secondly, Jesus is worthy to rule. And we see this in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So the author of Hebrews tells us that unlike sinful mankind, Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He's crowned with glory and honor. The word glory there is dignity. Jesus is crowned with dignity. Isn't that awesome? 
That's a beautiful picture. He's not only crowned with dignity, but he's crowned with honor, which in the, in the Greek means high public esteem or fame. So Jesus has been given dignity. He's also been given esteem and fame. Jesus has been given this dignity and esteem because he suffered unto death. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us that Jesus humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and he suffered and died. Jesus, in Hebrews 2, 9, is, told a, is, is here presented to us as a person who is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Jesus not only miraculously became human, he, he went from above the angels, creating the angels, to now below the angels. And he went below the angels, and not only did he do that, but he suffered a tragic, violent, and evil death on the cross. Jesus is so unlike our celebrity-crazed culture, isn't he? Jesus is so different. We love our athletes, and we love our movie stars, and we love our politicians, Sometimes we love our politicians. Why do we love them? Because of their skill and their strength and their money and their charisma and their eloquence and their influence. But in all of those things, those individuals that we look up to a lot, they let us down because they prove that they're not worthy to be our rulers. The more you get to know someone, the less you actually probably like them. Jesus is worthy because of his love. Jesus is worthy to rule your life because of his love, because of his compassion, because of his poverty, actually, because of his death on the cross. Jesus tasted death for everyone. That's what it says. He tasted it. What does that mean? That word means to take in the flavor. Jesus took in the flavor of death. I don't know about you, but I like to go to new restaurants. And we went to a Honduran restaurant the other day, and I also went to an Indian restaurant. Now, what happens to your clothes when you go to those kinds of restaurants? What happens? Yeah, you, you bring the taste into your clothes, and you walk out with curry, Right, that you can't get out of your clothes, amen? I went to Kathmandu restaurant the other day, and I came out, and I love curry, but then I smell like curry for the rest of the day. That's a bummer. But then I love the Honduran food, and what they do is they, they stack on bananas, like 18,000 pounds of bananas on the bottom of your plate. You should go check it out. It's wonderful. On Southeast 14th Street, there's that Honduran restaurant. We go there, but the, all the goodness that is piled on top of those bananas is amazing. But you end up smelling like it, and that's just okay. Jesus didn't taste new restaurants. Jesus tasted the wrath of God for you. Jesus tasted death for you and me. He experienced what no one else on this side of the earth has experienced, which is death. Church, are get a little emotional here, okay? The taste of death 
has been felt by our church since January 1st rolled over on the calendar. More than I can remember in quite some time. Just this morning, I got a text from a member family of our church saying, Pastor, please pray for us. A relative of ours has died this morning. She went home to be with Jesus. This last week, we had an individual who died within the scope of our church family. And it has been that kind of testimony since January 1st of 2020. And I'm telling you, I hate death. I hate it. Because it's sad. Because it hurts. Because it rips apart families and friendships here. Many of you heard of the triple homicide that happened on Southside this week. Some of you heard of that. I saw the news story. And they hadn't come out with the names yet. But it turns out that the 15-year-old, there's a 19-year-old, the 16-year-old, and the 15-year-old. The 15-year-old young man was the son of a family that I am reaching out to and I have been reaching out to for the last two years in our community. And my heart instantly sank once I found out who it was. And I reached out to them and they reached right back to me. And they said, Pastor, can we meet? So last night at 5.30 p.m. at the well, I met with this family. Church, the taste of death is bitter. It is a bitter taste. And as we wept around that white table at the well, and we cried out to God together, and we talked with one another as we held hands and prayed. The tears were flowing onto that table. And as I was crying with them and praying with them, I thought, I hate death. I hate it. With all my heart, I hate this. Jesus is worthy to be your ruler because he has tasted death. He tasted it. He drank it to the fullest measure. Jeremiah 25, 15. He drank death for us. Our sins upon himself. Jesus tasted death. And he rose from the dead three days later. Amen? Jesus tasted it for you and me. And I gotta, I gotta ask you these questions. And I know it's true. Are you hurting today? There's no question you're hurting today. Some of you are hurting more than others, but everybody in here is hurting. Everybody's suffering. And I just want to tell you, Jesus knows about your suffering. He experienced the suffering of death. He tasted death for you and me. He knows what you're going through. You can go to him. He's worthy to rule your heart this morning. Jesus is the worthy ruler. That's a reality we need to grip onto this morning. The third reality is that Jesus is the ruler of all. Jesus is the ruler of all. And we can see this in verse 8 and verse 9. It says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, that is Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control. At present we don't see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. The author of Hebrews brings up 
um, an, an incredible truth here in verse 8 and verse 9. He says that God appointed Jesus to rule over all things now and for things to come. But the author of Hebrews is also very aware that what we see with our eyes is not necessarily what we see in this verse. He says, now look, Jesus is over all things, but at present we don't see everything under subjection to him. This phrase reminds us of John 18, 36, when Jesus is standing before Pilate and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my soldiers would fight, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom, as it stands in 2020, is a kingdom that spreads through the hearts and minds of men and women when sinners repent of their sins and they come to Jesus by faith. Jesus' kingdom is not always evident to our eyes. Because we don't see all the people and all the governments and all the people lining up underneath his rule in 2020. Can I get a witness? Right? We don't see Jesus' rule over all things. And sometimes we as believers are like, Jesus, where, where are you at, man? I know that you're, you're, you're working, but I don't see it all the way the Bible says I should see it. But we do see him hanging on a cross. We do see Jesus in his glorious and powerful resurrection. We see Jesus honoring his promises still today. We see Jesus bringing sinners to repentance. We see Jesus in our heart and in our mind. Amen? We see him. We feel him. Do you feel him this morning? He's alive. He's in your heart. God willing. He's in your mind, and his kingdom is a kingdom that we can't always see. So in the midst of this verse, in verse 8 and verse 9, we see that Jesus' kingdom is right now through the gospel message, but it's not yet here yet, you know? It's right now, it's already here, but it's not yet here. We see sparks of it, we see movements of the kingdom of God, but we don't see the fullness because we're waiting for Christ to come back to establish his real rule and reign. So, unless you've been hanging out underneath the biggest rock of all time, you've heard that the athlete Kobe Bryant passed away last Sunday after church. Kobe Bryant was an NBA basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers. He was a Hall of Famer. Um, he died in a very tragic helicopter crash along with eight other individuals that were in the helicopter with him. It was very tragic. Um, I... I was at Sprint, actually, helping my daughter get her phone set up when the news really started breaking that Kobe Bryant was dead. And I had to, like, comfort and console Sprint workers. Like, this whole generation of Sprint employees were there, and they were just like, Kobe died, man. Can you believe that? And I'm like, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Do you know where you're going? And people, I mean, people started cursing and swearing and running around. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting a lot more than a sprint phone visit here. I'm getting a live counseling session. And we started speaking truth into, into people's lives who were working at Sprint. And it's just like, it's an amazing heartbreak thing. But I've had so many opportunities in the last week to talk to people about Jesus. But we got a whole generation of kids that are losing their minds. 
He's a man. He's not Jesus. It's sad to see a tragedy like this happen, but we need to understand that the kingdom of Jesus doesn't exist with one person. It exists in the hearts and lives of everybody who believes in Jesus, not Kobe Bryant. So I saw this memorial that they did to Kobe at the Staples Center in L.A. a couple days ago. They had this really powerful series of testimonies and flowers at midcourt. They had the whole thing. And then Usher came to sing. And I don't know if you're an Usher fan, but you probably shouldn't you know, announce that on a Sunday morning at church, whether you are or not. But Usher came up to sing. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know what song he sang? He sang Amazing Grace. 20,000 people. Untold millions of people watching on social media and YouTube and all those. And he's saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I thought, what? He sang two more verses, people. I don't know if Usher's a Christian, but I'm praising God. He's saying amazing grace. Here's the thought I had. What a great picture of Jesus building his kingdom. Through a guy that maybe doesn't even know him. Jesus is always at work. He is ruling and he is reigning. And we don't see the full weight of his kingdom, but we will someday, believer. We will see it someday. Jesus rules over all things and he will physically rule over all things in the world to come. And we will be a kingdom of priests reigning with him. Football and politics are at a fever pitch. In the state of Iowa today. I don't care who plays quarterback for the Super Bowl teams today. And I don't know which politician is going to rule the land. But church, remember this. God rules over the earth. And our Jesus rules over all things. He's ruler over all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. God, you are ruler over all. And Lord, there's so many things going on in our hearts. There's so many things going on in our minds this morning. There's so many other people and and, and places and things that that are seeking to rule our lives. But Lord, your word has told us this morning that you rule over all. And that your son, Jesus, will rule over your kingdom. Both now and forevermore. So Lord, we feel the the weight of our brokenness. God, we are so broken. We, We are so lost without your grace. Lord, human leaders come and go. They they influence our lives and we give our hearts to to humanity and we give our hearts to this world and we, we really get caught up in all these things. But God, we're broken. We are broken. So Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus who is worthy. He's the one that tasted death for us. He's the one that 
is going to carry us when we die. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on the one who is worthy, King Jesus. Help us to give our hearts and our minds to him this morning. Jesus, thank you for tasting death for us. Jesus, you are ruler over all things. May you rule and reign in every heart this morning. And Lord, if there's one person here that has wandered away from Jesus or doesn't know Jesus, Lord, may you become their ruler this morning. May they surrender all to you. May you work in our hearts. Lord, help us respond to you now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to make decisions that will last beyond today, that will last for eternity. Give us grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand up together and sing.